as I said, launching into this idea of pursuit and considering what we are chasing. Because life, listen, life is meant to be a life of pursuits. It's never meant to be static. It's never meant to be lived on the sidelines. In fact, if anything, this weekend should demonstrate to us that time, well, it just never stops for anyone. And we are not meant to be observers of life. There is a time and place for that. But we are actually infused with oxygen in our lungs because we're meant to run after something. And what we run after, what we pursue, what it impacts how we interpret the events that go on in our lives and how we decide to experience what we walk through. It impacts everything far more than we could realize. And this is a week, uh, maybe some of you were, have reflecting. I know I've, I've been reflecting kind of on just 2017 as a whole, the year that it's been. In my case, in my family, it's been a, a year unlike any other. But it started off celebrating Christmas, and uh, there are many things to celebrate this year. Many reasons to be joyful and grateful for our family. And it was about a day or so after that I got a number of texts of different members in our community who were not actually in a place of celebration. They, they were walking through, there's no other way to say it, but tragedy. And they were experiencing extreme loss and heartache and sorrow. And I remember feeling that and having in, in the same span of time, this, this place of, of having reason to be saddened and mournful and reason to be grateful. And it was around the middle of the week that I was um, heading from one point of the city to the other. And I was meeting a friend at a coffee shop. We were going to talk and work together. And, and I was heading from, from our offices, which is out by Candlestick or where Candlestick used to be. And I was heading on 101 and I was making my way. And, and this is one of those weeks um, where our city becomes a little bit less condensed. It, it, people go back home or they decide to travel. I don't know why they would decide to choose a different city than this one. But uh, they decide to travel for the holidays. And, and so it becomes less, you know, traffic becomes less so. But for whatever reason, there was this point in the freeway in which it became pretty congested. And there's this point where two freeways or actually maybe three freeways kind of meet together. And it becomes this long span of cars going in the same direction, trying to weave in and out. And there was this one delivery truck that I think realized they needed to be in the lane I was in. They, they moved in and I backed off and it was fine. And they moved in, everything was fine. And it was like maybe a couple seconds later, they came to a complete stop. And so I thought it'd be a good idea to do the same. And I didn't know if I was going to stop by hitting them or stop before I hit them. And so I kind of panicked and just hit the brake and came to a complete stop and just short of their bumper and kind of side relief. It's just like, and the minute I sighed, my bumper got rear-ended. And the car behind me wasn't so fortunate. And so she ended up hitting me. And I was kind of one of those things like, oh, man. It's a bummer, you know, and I was telling this story, right? And if some of us have heard other stories I've shared in the past number of weeks, they're suggesting maybe you should stop driving, you know? <laughs> um, 
it's probably not a good idea. You know, there's a trend here. But I remember getting out of the car and putting my hazards on and going back to the person. And she came out and she was very apologetic and just, you know, so, I'm sorry. I don't know if you heard my tire screech, but I, I don't know what happened. It's just, it just seemed like it all happened at once. I'm so sorry. I'll give you my information. This is a bummer. It looks, are you okay? And she started comforting me. And we're having this conversation. And I said, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's, how about we just exchange information? We'll be on our way. And she says, yeah. And so she starts looking in her purse for insurance and, and she lets me know she can't find her insurance. And I said, well, all right, well, just go ahead and take your time and I'll take a picture. You know, we'll get other information. So we start doing that. And I, it's just one of those moments where I realized we're in the middle of a freeway <laughs> and there are cars going all around us. Right. It's like at freeway speeds. And um, and so she kind of I, I come I, I realize this. I'm startled. I, you know, it's kind of I haven't been in an accident so I'm just kind of like this is all just I'm just kind of catching up to it and she says you know what I think we should probably get off the freeway I was like well you know I got this appointment to go to if I I just take a picture we'll be on our way how about we just leave on the freeway and she says okay okay so she keeps she can't find it she says I really think we should get off on the shoulder and I I just think well if you can find it we'll just go right and so like you know she says no I I really think we should, we should probably pull over. And, and then I start hearing voices telling me, you should probably pull over. In fact, they were yelling at me um, as they were driving by, <laughs> get off the freeway, right? So I, I think, okay, um, I should listen to everybody. And we pull off and we go onto to the shoulder and I get out of the car and I come, she, she finds her insurance. I start taking, the minute I take a picture of her, of her insurance card, we hear screeching tires and a collision in the very location we were at. I think, man, that is a bad location. That, that's not a good intersection, right? Didn't think about it. They got off freeway. Everything, everybody was okay. They made my way to the appointment and just kind of went from one thing to another and just kept going throughout my day. And it wasn't until two days ago where somebody came over our house and was visiting the baby and my wife. And we were just talking. I was just sharing this story. I kind of had forgotten it. And just telling them about what had happened. And and as I'm telling them, they're, as I tell them, and you wouldn't believe it, once we pulled off, I get off, I take a picture of, of the insurance. As I'm doing that, another collision, same place. And her jaw drops. She looked at me. She goes, you don't, Louis, you don't understand. If you had not left, gone off, that could have been you. I thought, maybe. Said, that could have been far worse. Yeah, it could have been, actually. And I remember that day, sharing with my wife. I was frustrated. I wasn't happy. And I found myself pursuing an insurance company to replace my bumper and do all this stuff. And it just, it kind of just summarized for me a little bit in a small nutshell, insignificant, I know, but a little bit of what it might feel like this year, maybe a year where there were interruptions and inconveniences and things that we had not planned on things we'd rather not have occurred. Some of us, they're small in nature. Others of us, they're, they're not. They are life-altering. This would be a year we would look back on, and there's no other way to say it except some tragedy occurred. And it's just sad and mournful. And that might be true. And there might, at the same time, in the same span of time and space, reasons to be grateful and reasons to be able to say thank you and reasons to be able to recognize I am so happy to be alive. All of that, 
All of that encompasses, I think, sometimes, what it might look like for us to venture through this journey. And if we think about it, it is good at this moment, as we consider how this year has gone, how we would love the year to come by, it's good for us to realize that life, in many ways, is a life made up of many pursuits. It really is. It's, it's a, a lifespan is many pursuits linked together. Right now, my wife and I, perhaps it's because it's more now than ever, we have a miniature human in our house. And we are concerned. We, 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 are, we are motivated to see her pursue milestones. It's all about the milestones. And every week means something. Every month means something. Every day is something. There's a new discovery. We're trying to help her pursue. I remember when I was a child, life was about the pursuit of innocent fun and joy. Oh, Christmas meant so much. Adolescence is the pursuit of independence. If we go to college, it's the pursuit of knowledge. We come out of college, we start to explore and discover something new. Adult adolescence. We start to think the illusion of pleasure is our pursuit. Some of us, we may actually pursue a career. We long for some degree of stability, monetary wealth, security. Some of us, we long for a friendship, a spouse perhaps. We pursue a home. We pursue the accumulation of successes. And over time, as time wears on and we continue to pursue the different things that consume us, that draw us, we start to discover that there is no amount of success or possession or anything really that satisfies a deeper longing, which is a longing for meaning. I find ourselves pursuing something of significance. Others of us, life has dealt us blows or our own choices have inflicted wounds upon us and now we're in a season our pursuit is one of healing. We long for comfort. Maybe because I get to see others around me and I get to hear people's lives and stories, I get to see as years wear on and decades come and go, there is a desire to recognize and know and be assured of their life, their pursuits. They actually made an impact. They will leave a mark. Some desire generational transfer. That is now their pursuit. To know that what they built will last beyond their days on this earth. And of course, there is the ultimate desire of a legacy. To end things well. To know that when we are no longer here, what we have pursued leaves something worth celebrating. Life. Life is made up of many pursuits. And I remember when I was young, I found myself in a Bible study in somebody's home, in this community actually, in which I was told and from somebody that I considered very, their, their lives proves that they, they are wise. And I remember them telling me, listen, everyone asks themselves these two questions, subconsciously or consciously at different times and different seasons of life, but they are always asking these questions. One, what am I pursuing? And two, who am I pursuing it with? And see, the answers to these two questions, what am I pursuing and who am I pursuing it with, if they are unresolved, if we do not know what we are pursuing and who we are pursuing with, well, that is the definition of floundering and feeling lost. 
It is there that we start to wonder, where, where are we and where, where are we going? Others of us, we find ourselves, we can answer those questions. We, we know what we're pursuing. We know who we're pursuing with. But it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't actually fulfill. And if that's the place we're at, it, it, it is the place where we long for change. And it may not mean changing our core commitments. It is not an excuse to leave core commitments. But it is a reason to consider how do we carry out our life pursuits? How are we doing this? But if, if the answer to those two questions of what we are pursuing and who we are pursuing with, it lights a fuse within us. Well, we either have stumbled into or intentionally discovered the pursuit of a promise. The pursuit of a promise that we long to see fulfilled. And there we find motivation. And a promise, a promise, it depends on who gives it for it to actually be a deliverable. And that is the very thing I'd love for us to explore in the time we have left. If we can open up our handout, we'll see that there is a significant promise that was given to a man named Joshua. And it was an interaction between God and Joshua in this particular time in Israel's history. And we'll just take, take a look at this very well-known passage. It's found in Joshua 1, 1 through 5. We're told that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, and into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Joshua, we may not see it, it may not stick out to us in these verses, in these words that we have just read together, but this is a particular time in Israel's history that is filled with deep uncertainty. It's, it's, it's a time unlike any other they had ever known because the man God chose to use to liberate his people of Israel out of slavery into becoming a nation was no longer present. You see, over many decades, the trusted and stable figure of leadership that the whole nation had come to trust and follow and grow under. Indeed, the man who was more than a man, he became a symbol and became more than that. He became the paragon of leadership. Even to this day, his shadow casts long over Israel's history. He is revered, revered as one of the greatest leaders Israel has ever known. That man was no longer there. And in that place, his assistant, well, to say he was left in a place of vulnerability would be an understatement. Obviously, he was not only mourning the passing of a mentor and a trusted friend and a leader, but I have to believe a part of him also was mourning the passing of something else, something he had known, something of anonymity. Because he had known what it was like to serve under somebody else's leadership, somebody else carrying the burden. And now he was being asked to step into that spotlight. And he would understand deeply, unlike anyone else could understand, the pressure and the weight such a position brings. It was now his time. And that place of sorrow and grief and loss, I think in many ways, it, it, it does represent, there is no parallel, none, 
But I think it has some similarity to being in this place in our year. Because if we, if we understand it, Joshua was in a place where, if we could think about it, how do I put this? The similarities are that we are at the ending of a year. We are at the ending of a year. And listen, however we might think of this year, well, one thing is certain, we know 2017. We know it. We understand it. We lived it. We will not look back upon our lives and be surprised by what happened. No, we walked through it. That surprise is over. We have experienced it. And it is behind us. And it is not coming back. And we're looking into a future that we do not know yet. A future that has yet to be written, has yet to be experienced and lived out. See, like it or not, we are at the end of a season. We truly are. And we're transitioning from one season to the other. (laughs) And this evening, some of us may do this. Now, for the first time in my life, I may go to bed at nine on New Year's Eve. (laughs) But many of us will celebrate the passing of one year to the next. And we will see simultaneously something happen more now than at any other point in our year. The time continues. And as soon as something ends, something begins. There is no pause. Something ends, something moves forward. Something new. And into this place, God decided to step into Joshua's life. And it's not to say that there is no time to mourn or to reflect or to consider. But what God ends up saying to Joshua, if you could see it, the subtext is very striking. It's almost as if he's saying to him, listen, it's not simply about you, Joshua. Yes, you are mourning Moses' passing. Yes, you will will forever miss him. Yes, his life will leave a mark on you. Yes, you will honor and memorialize it. You will remember it for the rest of your days. But how do we say it? It's almost as if he's saying, but your life, must move forward. And it's not just your life we're talking about. This is what God, right? It's connected to your people. You are connected to others. And God has a plan for his people. And you have a role to play. He has a plan that encompasses more than you, but it involves you. And God ends up moving into Joshua's life in such a way that he asks him to pursue a promise. And what a promise it was. We're told in verse 3 that every place, he says to him, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you already. Just as I promised to Moses. This promise is not contingent on Moses. Moses didn't make the promise. I did. Moses is not here. I am. That season is gone. I remain. This is why, Joshua, you can take a hold of this. Now, this, by the way, would be a very controversial statement for us to declare in 2017, but 3,500 years ago, well, God was carrying out something far larger than simply giving Israel land. You know what he was doing simultaneously is he was executing judgment on inhabitants he had entrusted the land to and who had rejected him and instituted a level of wickedness that grieved him for generations. And God, being an impartial God, ends up calling Israel to make sure that they 
pursue justice in this land. And if they don't, they will suffer similar consequences. And generations down after Joshua's life, they do suffer similar judgment. It's not as though God is playing favorites. But in this particular time, God is stepping into Joshua's life and he's saying, listen, I want you to take a hold of this promise. And even though Moses is no longer here, you can still pursue it. God's promise is bigger than one person or one generation or one season. Indeed, it's bigger than a year. This promise, in a sense, ends up becoming an amazing promise that lives on for all of Israel's history. We're told it's unparalleled. We're told in verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. You're going to inherit it. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua, this is the incredible promise you are to pursue. You and my people, you, all of you, must chase after it. You must. You must go get it. It's yours, but you have to pursue it. There's no other way to get it. And it's in this point, in this point of grieving loss and looking toward what he yet does not have. In this point of grieving what he knew, looking into the unknown. That he has given a promise to pursue in this hinge point of their history. A promise that would fuel his soul the remainder of his days. And indeed he would. He would pursue it with everything he had. And he would take hold of the very thing God promised to deliver. The very thing only God could ever deliver. This is, this is the account. Now, for me, it means a great deal. It means a great deal because I, th- I do think it represents so much of what life with God looks like. I do. It, it does not represent conquering of peoples or lands. That's not a God-centered pursuit. But I do think in a very real way, there is something that we are called to pursue. Every single one of us, listen, when the minute we sign on with God, we are signing on to a lifelong pursuit of a promise he is breathing into our soul, one that is customized according to who we are, how we were made, where we came from, where we are supposed to go. It is one of those things that, it is something that we are, how do I say, we are meant to chase dreams. We were created for it. We are meant to create a future that without us would not happen. Unless we play the role we're meant to play. We are meant to pursue things. We are never meant to sit idly by. There are times to rest. There are times to recuperate. But there are times to engage. And to move out of the bench and into the arena. This is the place. This is the Christian life. It is meant to awaken us. It is meant to be adventurous and nomadic. Always on the move. It truly is. In Joshua's case, listen, he was given a dream from God. It was clear. 
It couldn't have been clearer. It had geometric dimension to it. It had actual landmarks to it. And that's fair. We could say, I I would love it if God did that with me. But one thing is certain. God made space. He made space to meet with Joshua. But Joshua had to step into that space and make room in his life. And I suppose because it is the final day of this year, I would love to exhort us to not allow the remaining hours of this day and the initial days of the year and the initial weeks of the coming month to pass us by without us intentionally setting space aside, making room in our lives to seriously consider what we are pursuing and to ask God and to investigate, to take responsibility for why we were created, why we were breathed with life. And to ask him, Lord, what is the promise you have asked me to pursue? What is the dream you want me to chase? If we do that, if we do that and we become open to his life-giving word, we will start to touch something significant, something that is far larger than just us, but it involves us. And I'd like to propose that this account, it demonstrates something. It has many things for us to glean from, but one of the things, or a couple of things I'd like to put on the board is that, listen, you know what this shows us? That when our pursuits become God-centered, they start to have a couple factors in line. One of them is that God-centered pursuits, you know what they do? They call us out of comfort. They really do. They challenge us to consider the comforts that hold us back. They call us out of it. Listen, in Joshua's case, the Israelites had a long history of craving comfort in what they knew. They really did. Their entire journey, in many ways, is a reflection of human nature. I mean, if you look at it, Moses initially set them free from Egypt. And it wasn't too long after that when they were in the wilderness that they craved slavery in Egypt. Because why? They knew slavery in Egypt. They didn't know life in the wilderness. And they craved the comfort. They craved it. They craved it. They craved, if you think about it, being captured, being subjugated because they did not know how to be responsible and free. It was uncomfortable. Later, when they, when they moved to the edge of God's promise to this nation, and Moses sends people into this promised land, 12 spies, Joshua being one of them, most of them craved to be safe away from the giants. Why? Because they knew how to take orders. They knew how to be conquered. They never knew how to assert and initiate and then overcome. They had never experienced that. And it was a leap too far for them. 40 years prior to this account, that entire generation longed for what they knew. And it kept them 
from the promise God had for them. If you see it, they were, listen, they were in the desert. They were in the desert with Moses. There was this one point in which they had 40 days without Moses, the one they had come to know and be comforted by and be led by. And he left for 40 days and he ends up going to the mountain. So they end up panicking. And in the midst of uncertainty, they create a golden calf because that is what they have seen. That is what they have known. That is how they know to express their religious fervor. And so they end up worshiping a golden calf calf. Why? Because they knew what that idol was like. They did not know, did not feel comfortable in the uncertainty with God, in the uncertain place where God may be a little distant. They had to wait. We crave comfort, and yet if we are going to pursue what God is asking us to pursue, we must come to terms with a couple things. And as humbly as I can say it, I think it needs to be stated, 2017 is over. It's gone. Whatever mistakes and points of failure, they're done. And we may have the repercussions, and we may have the effects of it, and there's no doubt about it. But there is no retreading. And we may have come, become comfortable with certain things, but 2018 is upon us. It's here. Whether we like it or not, and God may be nudging us, listen, to strongly consider a dream or a promise that will require our willingness to move out of comfort. I, I just wonder, as we consider what we are to pursue, if we could highlight a couple things. I just put these questions up on the board. You could take a picture of it if you'd like, or maybe just consider it. But what is the comfortable place we need to let go of? What is it that we've become comfortable with, but we need to let go of? We need to be willing to let go. What is the comfortable place we have camped out at that is keeping us from the promise that God has for us? In other words, we would rather remain on this side because we know it and it's comfortable. It's safe. But God is nudging us. And it may be a little bit more closer to home. What is the comfort in our relationship that is keeping us from actually experiencing genuine intimacy? Intimacy is being known and knowing. Whether that's in a friendship, whether that's in our work environment, or the most intimate of relationships. There are usually barriers that keep us from experiencing community, that keep us from experiencing the ability to know one another. Usually those are comfort zones we must be willing to surrender. Because one thing is certain, if God is in the middle of a promise we are pursuing, he will call us to danger. He will call us into danger. He has, it's almost as if, There is no way, when it comes to faith with God, there are very few things that cost us nothing. It's always attached to risk. Always. If God is in the center, there will be risk. There will be a call to action that will move us out of comfort into danger. It will be one of those things that we could put it in maybe black and white terms. We talk about relationships. If we want relational intimacy, you know what we need to do? We need to risk rejection. Oh, and that's terrifying. Especially if we've been burned and wounded and hurt. 
But in order to actually discover that, if we want, if we want integrity, we want wholeness to become a larger part of our story, and we want to be able to be the same person in private as we are in public in every sphere of our lives, you know what we need to do? We need to risk our pride. We need to confess blind spots. And we need to say, I, I have areas of need, and I have weaknesses, and I need, I need others to surround me, and I need others to help me. Will you be my reinforcement? Will you be the one who keeps me? Will you be the one who strengthens me? And I'll do that for you. Any venture that has to do with moving forward with God, if we pursue growth, we risk falling short. Why? Because we invest energy and sweat and sacrifice with we don't know what the harvest, what the production might be like. It calls us to risk. He calls us into the dangerous place. It's always worth the reward, though. And some of us, I have to say, we might be hearing this and we might think to ourselves, you know what? How dare God? How dare He call me to danger? How dare he? What gives him the right to ask me to risk? The reality is that he is the one who risks. Every single day we're alive. And he is the one who risked it all so that any one of us could have the opportunity to know you are loved Grace and forgiveness flows from my heart to you, God says. And every single day, he makes himself, he risks himself on us. Every single moment, it's a new moment in which God longs for us, pursues us. It is what he does. He is an amazing God. And when we start to pursue a promise that he has given to us, you know what we start to discover? He calls us to rely on his presence. He never wants us to do it alone. Ever. Ever. Our pursuit, listen, it may not be one of conquering physical land, but if God is at the center, if you could hear it, this, it, it, it is a pursuit in which God ends up becoming one who conquers the wounds of our soul and the points of defeat and weakness and the points of sorrow. And he is the one who brings new life. He is the one who brings wholeness. He is the one who brings strength. And you know what happens? The very thing he told Joshua, every foot, every place the foot of your soul will touch, it becomes a place that I conquered. You know why? Because where we, we who invite him to conquer our lives, we invite him to be the one who guides us and steps with us and fuses us with life. You know what happens? We become vehicles of his grace and all of a sudden our relationships and how we step into our work environments and how we step into the different situations of our life become conduits of his grace. And we start to see him do things through us that are unbelievable. We can only say that forgiveness happened because God made it happen. That hope is erupting because God is breathing it. That passion is there because he is fanning it. And we start to discover in a very real way what Paul told the Romans when he said, you are more than conquerors. You are more than conquerors when and Jesus is a part of your pursuit. He told Timothy, listen, I want you to understand something. Godliness with contentment 
That is great wealth. What is godliness? God-centered pursuit. What is contentment? Satisfied soul. And we have a God-centered pursuit. We discover a satisfied soul. And we end up inheriting true wealth. True wealth. When I was younger, I read Theodore Roosevelt's biography and one of the passages that he ended up delivering in a speech, which is a poem known as The Man in the Arena, struck me. I thought I'd share it because I think it might have somewhat to do with how we might want to consider the year to come. It says, he said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better, The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows the end of triumph of high achievement, And at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. (laughs) It is to the one who discovers the promise that God may want to breathe into our soul that he or she is invited enter the arena. Do not let this year pass by without you pursuing it with all your heart to inviting God to breathe new life into your soul. So we, no one else but us, might know the joy of dust-marked face and sweat on our brow and blood because we chased after something worth pursuing. We went after the promise God is breathing into us. In this year, I'm pursuing. Oh, may it be a God-centered pursuit. May it be a promise that he wants to give. Lord, I thank you that you are the one. You are the one who is able to Breathe, give life, hope. You're the one who is able to knit our souls. You're the one who transforms our weaknesses and strengths, our sorrows into points of comfort for others, our tears into joy. You're the one who is able to do beautiful things with a life that is fully yours. And I pray, God, that you would give us the ability to hear your voice and a sense in the core of our being the reason why you have given us breath of life. I pray for your help to know what we are pursuing, that it would be your promise for our lives. We ask for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.